Welcome back to Unbothered, everyone. Josh is here. I'm excited to be back. It's been exactly a month since my last podcast dropped. It was July 7th. And now we are exactly one month from when the NFL season is officially underway, September 7th. So from here on out, I'll be doing podcasts regularly. Took most of the summer off. It was enjoyable, again, outside of the occasional NBA. Uh, not much happens, but I'm excited to be talking football. Where a lot has happened, especially in the world of college football. So today, I'm going to dive into conference realignments. I'm going to also talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, because why not? Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And then there are three quarterback battles that are still ongoing a month before the season is underway, so I'm going to break down those three quarterback battles for those teams who I think will and should get the start. And then lastly, enter Miami. That's keeping sports alive right now because Messi's here in America and playing in the MLS, and he's fun to watch. So let's get right into it, starting with the conference realignments. Now this, to me, has been a big whirlwind. Now, I always thought there would be more realignment since last year when Oklahoma and Texas decided to leave the Big 12 for the SEC, which again kicks in next year. There's a lot of talk of other teams. Those were two of the biggest teams in the sport, historically, a tradition. Then two more teams followed suit. USC and UCLA from a Pac-12, also jumped to the Big Ten. And again, next year, they will be playing in the Big Ten, no longer in the Pac-12. So again, right there, you have four major schools that decided to jump ship from their conference. And a lot has changed since then. So the ACC has stayed the same. 14 schools in there. Uh, Notre Dame is a five-game arrangement with that conference. But the Pac-12 has made the biggest change. Uh, Oregon, UCLA, USC, and Washington are going to the Big Ten. Again, originally it was just UCLA and USC. Oregon and Washington filed their papers last week to join the Big Ten. They were approved. So now the Big Ten has 18 teams going in to next year. Then, after that, Colorado decided to go back to the Big 12, where they were originally at before the Pac-12. And then three more teams immediately followed suit to go to the Big 12. Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. So those four teams, again, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, are heading to the Big 12. So now the Big 12 has six team schools for next year. The SEC, again, has stayed current, plus Oklahoma and Texas next year. But Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12 are kind of the biggest shakers. Uh, So now the Pac-12 is just left with Cal, Oregon State, Stanford, and Washington State. Now there has been some discussion today about those four remaining Pac-12 teams going to the ACC. Now, why would they go to the ACC? Well, I think the ACC wants to keep 
their their conference together. Why do I say that? Well, there's been reports of Florida State leaving the ACC, and Florida State is it's them and Clemson as the two biggest powerhouses in that conference. So Florida State were to jump to the SEC, for example, uh, Clemson would follow suit without those two teams. That conference would be very weak. So you hope to add those four schools. Uh, the Mountain West has also talked about adding them. But if you do ACC, that kind of, to me, rivals the a Big Ten. Where the Big Ten right now is a national, bi-coastal, three-time zone, uh, you know, powerhouse of Eastern, uh, ranging from Central to Mountain to Pacific. So four time zones there in. They are dominating uh, the Big Ten. But the ACC does that. Not only do they have their coastal conference schools, but then they add teams like Cal, Stanford, who has struggled recently, but has been a really solid school. Oregon State, who did really well last year. I still think they'll do good this year. And then Washington State is a team beloved by a lot of college football fans. So if they were to find a home there, I think in the ACC it would convince you know Clemson to stay, uh, Florida State to stay. They'd then have 18 schools, which would rival the Big Ten. And again, it would be the Atlantic Coast, and it would be, you know, the Northwest Coast. Which I think is good, because if you have the SEC, it's really still a very southeast, uh, plus Texas down there, Oklahoma. Uh, the Big 12 is very central, uh, very TCU still, Texas. Uh, they did add a Central Florida, Cincinnati, um, the Arizona school. So they did do some maneuvering, but I think the ACC wants to stay. They have to add those four schools or make a move. I also think with this conference realignment, a Notre Dame has to make a decision. And Notre Dame right now is still an independent Still gets to choose who they play. I don't think anybody should schedule Notre Dame. For example, Michigan has had a historic rivalry with Notre Dame. They're talking about adding it up in the future down the road. But if you're Michigan, why would you want to add Notre Dame to your schedule when in your conference alone you'll be playing teams like Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State, UCLA, USC, Wisconsin, uh, Washington, uh, Michigan State. That's eight teams right there. Uh, why would you then want to schedule Notre Dame? I don't know why you would. Same with the SEC. Your uh, Texas, let's say your Georgia, uh, you have to play Alabama, Florida, LSU, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Texas a that's nine teams right there. Uh, the ACC has their agreement. You know, Clemson, you've got to play. Uh, right now it's kind of just Florida State um, and North Carolina, but if you were to add the Stanfords and other teams, that would make your conference have more depth. So to me, Notre Dame has to choose 
to go to a conference. They can no longer be picking which teams they want to play, uh, make your schedule more palatable, really customizable. It's, hey, you got to join the conference. And one thing I do like from this conference realignment with the Pac-12 being disbanded is for the playoff next year, it was going to be the four top conference uh, winners being the top four seeds with the bye. So now uh, we talked about uh, in the past the Power Five schools and the Group of Five schools. The Power Five, again, was originally the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, and the SEC. Now with the Pac-12 disbanded, it's really a power four. There's four conferences, SEC, ACC, Big 10, and Big 12. And when you look at those schools, if you have the best record from there, uh, you deserve to have a top four seed. If you're in the ACC, Clemson goes 10-2, uh, and two, wins their championship game, 11-1, and one, wins their championship game. They deserve to be in as a top four seed. Probably be lower, three to four, because of their conference. Same with the Big 12. Uh, if TCU, again, goes undefeated, where they beat teams like the Arizona schools and UCF, who historically has been a solid team, and Cincinnati as well, and the Oklahoma State and all that, they still do that. Again, a 3-4 seed. So to me, there's tiers. You have the Big 12 and the ACC, which right now are Tier 1B where Tier 1A is Big Ten and SEC, where you come out of there, you're conference champion, you're a one or two seed. Uh, again, Michigan, I laid out for you, but if Ohio State were to do the same thing, uh, beat those schools, Michigan, Michigan State, UCLA, USC, Penn State, Wisconsin, Oregon, Washington, they deserve to get in, even if they have one loss or two losses. SEC, same, I outlined Georgia, but if Alabama were to do it. They beat Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, LSU, Oklahoma, lose one or two games. They deserve to be in. And then with the expanded field, you'll have eight other teams, uh, which I think should be the runner-up or second-best team in your division. You add in a, a group of five school to let them in. Last year would have been, I think, Coastal Carolina. Uh, actually, my bad. I think it was Tulane Green Wave. You let a school like that in uh, to the playoff as well. Um, kind of that Cinderella underdog story. But I think it's going to be very different moving forward. This is, you know, I've gotten used to this very quickly. Uh, this four-team playoff, uh, the original iteration, there was no national championship game. You'd split national champions. That kind of ended after Michigan and Nebraska. Both went undefeated. However, we didn't play each other in a bowl game. They created the national championship, which was the number one and number two team at the end of the season. Then a decade ago, they added in the four-team playoff to let some more people in. This is the last year of that. Next year will be the 12-team playoff with the conference realignments in full effect. Uh, so college football will look very, very different next year. At first, it's going to take a lot for the old fans like me. Uh, they've been watching this sport for a long time. No more Pac-12, Pac-12 After Dark on ESPN, things like that. It's going to be a different feel to it. But I think with some time, uh, it will gain some traction. I think this will also help new fans come into the sport with a 12-team playoff close to the current NFL playoff model. They originally had 12. They expanded to 14. So, again, 
I think this will again will benefit newer fans, more teams, the conference realignment, games mean more. I think eventually, once we're used to it, college football will be a lot of fun, and you don't have to worry that your team has to go undefeated every single season. Uh, you can live with a loss, which I'm totally fine with. So conference realignment, I'll be staying up to date on that. Is That feels like it's ever-changing. But now to move on to the NFL. And time to talk about the Jets specifically. And during the Hall of Fame game, uh, which occurred uh, last week on Thursday, it was the first official preseason game between the Jets and the Browns. Uh, Jets came back, or my bad, the Browns came back and won, uh, scored 14 unanswered points in the second half alone, and they won 21-16. Uh, to 16. Dak Wilson threw five passes. I thought he looked solid. Uh, Mekhi Becton didn't look um, great, kind of took himself out with confidence issues. That's worrisome because this O-line is the shakiest part of this team. So when you have a shaky O-line, you're going to need a great running back to help the quarterback out so he's not just dropping back. Defensive linemen are rushing at him right away. You know, ears pinned, tucked back, and they're just launching at him. It's Brees Hall was kind of, you know, last year he alleviated uh, the bad offensive line play that ranked 31st last year. They'll have to play a lot better this year for Aaron Rodgers. And I think Brees Hall will have to play week one as well, and who knows if he's on that timetable or not, but that is the biggest concern for the Jets is this, is this offensive line uh, moving forward. You know, their main running back, I uh, can't say his name, I want to say it's Bonaconda. He had nine carries, 27 yards. That ain't going to cut it in the regular season. But what I did like to see is Aaron Rodgers, did call some plays for the Jets during the preseason on offense. Uh, called the one that Zach Wilson had the 57-yard completion. Uh, downfield to Malik Taylor. A beautiful pass. This is what I love to see from Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is officially all in. This, to me, is the complete 180 from previous years with Aaron Rodgers, where he wasn't into preseason. Uh, non-committed with Jordan Love, which I believe he eventually did warm up to him and did become a mentor, and that was shown this year uh, through what Jordan Love said. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers, you know, no TAs, no mini camps, did his own thing, stayed in the dark. Uh, this year he's very much uh, to helping the Jets, helping Zach Wilson be better. Uh, he's a true mentor and leader. And even though on the... Packers, he was the best player on the team. He was the leader, but that presence wasn't felt, you know, I think through the whole team, whereas the Jets really have a sense that Aaron Rodgers is their leader. Not only is the offense affected by it, but the defense is affected by it. And that's really hard to do because you have Tom Brady, who I think is one of the few players ever, that when he says something, the defense even listens up, even if it's towards the offensive guys, his mindset affected the defensive guys, and that's why I think the Buccaneers really took off and won that first year. Uh, Ray Lewis, the defensive leader of the Ravens, 
or what he said affected the offense. So you'll have a few of those guys come around uh, once in a decade, once in a generation. And Aaron Rodgers doing this, flipping the switch, I think is going to help the Jets in the long run, even if I'm still concerned with their offensive line. Now moving on to the Bengals. So Joe Burrow got injured during training camp, calf injury. Um, reports were it wasn't as bad as they initially thought, which could have been an Achilles. He had to get carted off. Um, then some people were saying, oh, last year he had his appendectomy, and now this year it's the calf. You know, he just doesn't want to play until he gets a new contract. I just think that's a bunch of bogus. I don't believe that at all. I think Joe Burrow is such a team guy. However, I didn't think it would be that serious. And then Jamar Chase said the other day that, you know, if Joe Burrow is not ready for week one, then, you know, he shouldn't play, which makes me wonder, but hey, Joe Burrow isn't going to play this preseason like last year. Uh, But how healthy is he going to be for week one? I agree with Jamar Chase on this one. If he's not healthy, sit him out. But, however, I would have liked to see him play some snaps to get Orlando Brown, their new left tackle, integrated into the offense, kind of work out the kinks with the offensive line. Because last year, took a couple of games for them to click before, again, injuries decimated their rebuilt offensive line. So I would have liked to see him that, but it looks like that's not going to be the case this time around. And then to go along with that second point, the contract extension. So Logan Wilson, uh, linebacker, defensive player for the Bengals is hoping that, you know, everyone gets paid. Joe Burrow has said that numerous times. He said confidently that I think everyone will get paid. Uh, jo- Justin Herbert, uh, a couple weeks ago, signed the highest uh, quarterback deal in the history of the NFL, you know, the, the basis of your average annual value, which is around like $52.5 million. I think Justin Herbert is phenomenal. I think Joe Burrow deserves more than that. However, I'm skeptical if he's going to get more than that if, again, T. Higgins is also eligible for a new contract. Jamar Chase next year. A lot of money will be tied to this team, to this offense, to their top players. So I'm looking at Joe Burrow. Is he going to take a Tom Brady model to this and say, hey, I don't want to be the highest paid player. Maybe I'll be the highest paid player one year in my career. But most of the time, I want to have a solid team because as Joe acknowledges, hey, you got to have other players in order to win championships. He's absolutely right about that. So I think Joe Burrow's going to prioritize his health uh, in not taking all the money from the Bengals, and they'll be just fine. Now time to get to some quarterback battles. There's three quarterback battles I want to talk about that are currently in place. The first one is with the Indianapolis Colts. Anthony Richardson is still battling Gardner Minshew. Now it looks like Anthony Richardson is pulling away from Gardner Minshew, according to reports today. But why is this even a question? Why is there a battle going on between Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew? Now, Minshew mania, it was so five years ago. It really was. Now, he'll come in and have a good game, throw some touchdowns, look great with his mustache, 
And then he'll look absolutely awful the next few games. Gardner Minshew, I'm sorry, but the Colts aren't going to learn anything from Gardner Minshew going out there. Anthony Richardson is not going to learn anything from Gardner Minshew being out there. If you start Minshew, you're kind of punting on the season already before it begins. It's like, hey, let's start him. We don't want to be too good to begin the season. We want a reasonable draft pick. Whereas I would start Richardson because he has such potential high upside. Uh, I think he'll learn a lot from being in. Not that, you know, he'll do great. I don't think he will do great this year. But there is an off chance that he does take the Colts, uh, transform this offense with his dynamic playmaking ability. Again, I think it's unlikely in the first year. But there is a chance in a weak division that, hey, Anthony Richardson, again, takes this division by storm. So I would start Richardson. I'm not punting on the season. I want to get him as many reps as possible uh, with the team I have, start him. Um, then I can make decisions on Jonathan Taylor, other pieces to pursue, uh, next year's free agency and draft, if I have my clear decision on what Anthony Richardson needs. So if I'm the Colts, there's no starting Gardner Minshew. The next one is the Washington Commanders. Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett. So Sam Howell was kind of a starter like the last game, last last two games. Uh, played fine. I thought he played good. And I thought they were going with him as a starter, but now Jacoby Brissett's in there. But you have to know this. Both aren't going to win a ton of games. I think there'll be flashes from Sam Howe and Jacoby Brissett. We've seen enough of him in the uh, NFL to know that he's not a winning quarterback. He's uh, mid-level tier. He'll get your team seven wins. I think he'll go seven and ten. About Sam Howe, maybe Sam Howe is a little more upside. But if you're the commanders, you got to know. I think they have a good roster. It's not as bad as the Cardinals or another team like that where they – first overall pick written on it, but I think you want to tank for Drake May or one of the quarterbacks in the NFL draft. Maybe Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett are just worse this year. They fall off, and maybe you're in the conversation for Caleb Williams. That's the conversation you want to be in. And then lastly, the Bucks: Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask. So this is sad. This is, to me, embarrassing for Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield is a former Heisman Trophy winner, uh, led the Browns to the divisional round of the playoffs a couple years ago, uh, looked good, and now things are not looking good for Baker. Had a couple of good games last year for the Rams, specifically against the comeback against the Raiders and then against the Broncos on Christmas. But if this is a close battle... There's no hope for the Bucks. It's not going to be a good season. Kyle Trask, a former, I think, two-star recruit, who wasn't great in Florida. He just had the benefit of having Kyle Pitts. So if this is close, this is sad news for Buck fans. This is Bucks going to be last place in the division. This is embarrassing for Baker. You might as well just retire and do something else. But if the quarterback situation is this bad, and you'll finish last in your division, I wouldn't trade the Chris Godwin or Mike Evans unless for a very steep price. Um, I think it would be very smart to, hey, 
Again, tank for one of the quarterbacks. Maybe you get lucky and get a Caleb Williams. Imagine Caleb Williams, again, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Uh, the weapons they have, Rashad White, I think will be very good. Tristan Wirfs, good offensive lineman. That could be a team that can then make it to the playoffs at send right away. And lastly, Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami, it's fun to watch. Why is it fun to watch MLS? Because of Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi is the GOAT. He's made, again, MLS fun here, for example. Last night, uh, they were down 4-2 in the 75th minute. I went ahead and turned it off. I thought it was over. Even the commentators were saying, you know, this was a good run for Miami. Uh, They'll be able to learn this and adjust formation-wise, tactical-wise. And I thought, yeah, 15 minutes. I don't see them scoring two goals to tie it up. And next thing I know, here, they have tied it up and it's going into penalties. So I've got to turn it on. Uh, Miami got the benefit of an own goal by Dallas. But Lionel Messi had the game-tying goal in the 85th minute, a free kick. That was just spectacular. That was brilliant. That was something only Messi could do. So then they go into penalties. Messi scores right away as long with the rest of the Inter-Miami lineup and went 5-3 on penalties. They just look very uh, collected in that scenario. And it just shows that Messi's a GOAT. Since he's come to Miami, they haven't lost a game. He's scored in every match. Uh, they've been fun to watch. They have Jordi Alba there now, Sergio Busquets, former Barcelona friends of Lionel Messi. Uh, and this team... Again, it's fun. It's making MLS fun to watch because there are other talented players in the MLS that don't get enough uh, shine or spotlight on them because, hey, it's the MLS. It's not this Premier League, rather. But then when you watch these games, and maybe if you're there watching uh, Messi, there's other players that you watch, you know, uh, that are also very good. Bernard Camungo, I uh, watched last night, crossed up quite a few Miami players on route to a goal. Uh, Jesus Ferreira uh, was good. Quignone as well. Uh, so you watch this and it's like, hey, this league is actually not terrible. Uh, again, Messi is head and shoulders above this league, but it is entertaining. Messi keeps it entertaining. That's why they keep on watching, and that's why they advanced and are going into the quarterfinals matchup uh, in play on Friday night. This has been Unbothered. I'm happy to be back. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.